God, we just sang, here we are to worship. And yet we sometimes run into this room with the rush of 10,000 things in our mind that it's hard. It's hard to really stop and take stock of what we are doing. That we're entering into the throne room of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, you are altogether lovely. And we confess, God, we don't see that like we should. In fact, God, sometimes when life gets hard, it is so easy for accusations to rise up in our hearts that you're not fair, that you don't care, that you're distant. God, today, today, would you impress upon our hearts that you are altogether lovely? We are here to worship God. And we confess sometimes that's with a divided heart. Our, our, our mind is elsewhere. Maybe our affections are elsewhere. God, help us. God, even in this moment, to stop, to be still. God, we want to sit at the feet of Jesus. No one's here to hear from a man. We want to hear God from you, your word. So help us. Today, the church around the world is, is, is remembering the persecuted church. God, most of us know very little of what that means firsthand. But as we'll read further in a few weeks, God, your blessing is upon those who are persecuted for your namesake. But knowing that, bless, that blessing is a very difficult cup to drink, God, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. God, we pray for, for places and lands where the gospel is forbidden, where churches are actively persecuted where people feel in threat of their lives, where, where just naming the name of Christ in a way to, to convert someone else is, is punishable by law. God, let the gospel go out in Pakistan. Let the gospel, God, go out in Iran, in Iraq, in Turkey. God, let your word be proclaimed in Palestine amidst the heartache, amidst the tears, the, the horrors in Saudi Arabia, in, in China, where, where there's so much control and constraint. God, there's, there's a high cost for people to live out their faith. We pray you would strengthen our brothers and sisters. We pray, God, that they would know the, the truth, the reality of your word, that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. God, help us. We don't have the threat of violence, perhaps. We don't have the threat of imprisonment. But God, many of us, because of the thoughts, the accusations, the opinions of others, God, we, we have been silent about our faith. Help us, God, change us. We ask, God, that we would get a boldness from you, from your Holy Spirit. We would see the world as it is. It's not happy, celebrating that everything is wonderful. God, there's an emptiness in the world around us. 
We pray, God, that you would, you would transform us into beacons of light and hope. You would put in our hearts a desire, a passion to, to speak, even when we don't know what to say or how to say it. Transform us, God. Make us, make us bearers of your light. God, make us peacemakers. Where we have failed, where we have been silent, forgive us, God, and transform us. Transform us today. Renew our minds. God, make it, may be said by our hearts, each one who is here, I'm, I'm, it is good that we were here. We ask, God, that your spirit would guide, instruct, convict, comfort, do the work that needs to be done, Holy Spirit, but let our lives be transformed. Please, God, make us, help us not be hearers only, but God, we pray we'd be doers of the word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you're not already there, to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. We'll re read from verse 1. Matthew chapter 5. And seeing the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We started on, on kind of unfolding these words the last few weeks. Jesus, as he's speaking to this, this crowd of people, we talked a little bit about in last week, that this crowd was a diverse crowd. It was Assumably, all Jewish people, but from a very, very wide scope of people. There would have undoubtedly been Pharisees there. Pharisees that were very, very, very committed to keeping the outward form of the law. They made sure they dotted all their, their I's, they crossed their T's. These people, these were the keepers of the law on the outside. 
And then there would have been the Sadducees sitting there listening to Jesus. And these people would have been, yeah, we're Jewish, but you know what? The times are changing. And, you know, these stories don't really mean what they did. Resurrection, well, you know, it's how you would see it. It's, if that's true for you, they might say. And there would have been other people there. Those that have just been, been there just to hear. All of them would have had an outward opinion, an outward look that, oh yeah, we want to follow. But they weren't all there. And Jesus, he, we talked about this, how, how the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, is this idea of blessing. Wow, heaven in that sense, this is divineness, goodness, God's grace, blessing upon who? The poor in spirit. Remember we talked about what the, the poor in spirit were? I, I, I like the idea of spiritual bankruptcy. I have such a debt, I am never going to get out of it spiritually. There is nothing I can do. I, my guilt is so deep. I couldn't swim across the ocean. I couldn't, I couldn't repay it. God says those are blessed people. In fact, God says theirs is a kingdom. This is idea. There is this idea of, next he says there's the mourning. We put, we put that brokenheartedness and the mourning together. We have a picture of repentance. What a great thing. Now, for some of us, the word repentance is heavy. It's, in like, it's like in a minor tune. No, no. Repentance. It's, it's like, I mean, I grew up in a church thing where we were supposed to go into a box. Almost like a hockey game, the penalty box. And then we were supposed to talk behind a screen and tell somebody all the rotten stuff we did. I hated that. There was no joy in that. No, friends, repentance is a good thing. When there's repentance... God says there is more joy in heaven. There's rejoicing over one soul that repents. Yeah, it's heavy. Because we're finally realizing what we are. It doesn't feel good. It's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't fan our ego. But when we get to that place, we realize, wait, I've been walking the wrong way. In fact, I'm not just doing wrong things. I am wrong. God says there's comfort to those who mourn. But I think it's also good to realize that, that just to not get too backtracked, we are going to get to our text. But I think it's, it's good to think about this for a second because repentance sometimes can be mistaken. Is repentance, they're, 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 we could say true and false repentance, if I could just park on this for a second. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Whereas worldly grief produces death. So there's, there's a godly repentance and there's kind of a, a false repentance. Can, can I tell you the big difference between the two? We've all been here. There's sometimes when, when we've done wrong and then we feel bad. Hopefully, that's a good thing, right? But oftentimes we feel bad because we're caught. Okay? That's not godly repentance. Now, it might be at work there. But godly repentance is not when, oh, wow, now I've, I've been exposed. 
Godly repentance is when I realize, look, I just haven't messed up my life. Now I'm embarrassed. There's this awkward situation. I'm a mess. People know this now. That's not what it's about. Godly repentance is when I realize I've sinned against God. Remember what David says? When, when, when David gives his brokenhearted prayer, when he, he says, against, against you only I have sinned. After he had committed adultery, after he had committed murder, basically. You see, when we see our sin is against God, it has grieved God first and foremost. That is repentance. And when we realize, look, I can't pay this back. All I can say is, God, have mercy. I need your mercy. There is nothing else for me. If there's no mercy, I am done. And friends, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. And that's why, why God says those who, who mourn, it produces a mourning, doesn't it? it? When we realize, wow, I am so broken. But friends, they'll be comforted. There's comfort in that. Why is there comfort? The comfort comes because there's forgiveness. Because God is, says, he or she who comes to me, I will not cast out. God says to all the ends of the earth, come to me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. You see, God has this wonderful promise that, that if we turn to him, he will receive us. No matter how wretched we are, no matter how messed up we are, there is hope in Christ because God is faithful, not because you are faithful, not because I am faithful. We could say a lot more, but we're going to go on. We talked about how there's a little bit of a progression here. You might say, poor in spirit results from seeing God. Mourning results from seeing self. Yeah, I think it's both and all of these. We're, we're seeing God for who he is, his holiness, his, his power, his majesty. And we're seeing ourselves. We're finding out that my problem isn't that I lie, cheat, and steal. My deepest problem is that I'm proud and I want to live independent of God. You see, my, my lying, my cheating, my stealing, and everything else, it flows out of that. At the heart of it, it's me. I can depend upon me and I can live dependent from God. And when we realize, no, you can't. You're not far from the kingdom of God. We, we, can, we can find hope that God is a refuge for ourselves. Meekness. Meekness comes the result of being forgiven. So we look, look at that verse a little closer. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth meekness. It's not a word we use a whole lot, is it? The kingdom of God is to the poor in spirit. His comfort is to those who mourn for their sin. And the earth, the earth is to the meek? Well, we should ask, what does that meekness mean, number one? And number two, why will they inherit the earth? What comes to your mind when you think of meekness? 
What does that look like to you? If you had to describe someone who is meek, what would that look like? I think oftentimes we're thinking of somebody who might be very quiet, reserved, doesn't speak up, doesn't defend themselves, maybe just kind of, kind of just blends into everything. I wonder if that's what God's talking about. Hey, I just go with the flow. Is that meek? What is meekness? God says it's a blessed thing. The Greek word for meek here is used to describe an animal that has been domesticated. Okay? This might help give us an idea of what meekness is about. Think about a wild animal, okay? Um, an elephant. A horse. Wild, they are trouble, right? But once they've been domesticated, do they just go, oh, no, I can't do anything. I'll just sit here. No! A horse that has been domesticated and trained can be powerful. It can be extremely useful. And I think the key here is that it is power under control. That is meekness. Power under control. What is meekness? Remember that time you got an argument with your spouse? Oh yeah. Or maybe a friend. And you were so sure you were right and they were wrong. And I'll tell you what, you let them have it. And then, and then you found out, oops, they were right. I had everything wrong. Have you been there? Have you? I hope so. That feeling, that feeling when you realize, wait, 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 I thought I had it all right and now I have it all wrong. That feeling, like, and, if you, and by the way, if you don't know that feeling, you're in trouble. Because some of you are those people that say, you know, I know I was wrong anyways, but I'm still going to stick to it. I'm just going to hold my ground. No, that is not meekness, friends. That is pride. And it never does any good. But meekness is that when I, when I see it, oh man, I thought I was so right and I'm wrong. That's meekness. You know how we walk? We say, honey, we, 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 there, there's, a, there's a tenderness about us. We're, we, are, we are a different person. And that meekness is what we see. And it's, it follows forgiveness. When we realize we have been forgiven a debt so big we could never pay back, it is like, I cannot believe this. I, the slate has been made clean. And this meekness becomes a, an indelible part. This is, it's a beautiful thing. A couple other descriptions of meekness real quick. A couple people, I mean, I'm quoting people. They said, meekness implies submission to God. But it is not a passive submission that shrugs its shoulders and says, oh well, I can't do anything about it anyway. It's an active Admission. 
an act of submission, excuse me, a choosing to accept God's ways without murmuring or disputing. So meekness oftentimes comes, the opportunity for meekness is when adversity comes. Difficult situations is how I respond. And I know that's not so easy, is it? Because I can be meek on good days, on sunny days. But when I've been wronged, when things have been, this is where meekness has its value. Meekness, another quote, is not cowardice. It's not emotional flabbiness. I like that. Lack of conviction, complacency, or timidity. Meekness doesn't mean indecisive, wishy-washy, or a lack of confidence. The meek person is gentle and mild in their own cause, though he or she may be a lion in God's cause or defending others. You see, one thing we can conclude that meekness Jesus describes here is not a natural quality, okay? This doesn't just prop up in the human heart by itself. This is born of the Spirit of God. None of us are meek like this. Like I said, the shortest and simplest definition of meekness is power under control. Because the Bible describes Jesus as meek. Meekness is not weakness. Because Jesus was certainly meek. And he wasn't weak. John Bunyan expressed in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, he said this. He said, he that is down need fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. See, so God says, those people, they're going to inherit the earth. The meek, it says, they shall inherit the earth. Now, there's, there's something kind of in particular that we'd miss in our English version of this. When the text says, blessed are the meek, they, that word they there, it's a special they. The they there means those specific people, those people only. So, so if, we, if we thought about it, the text says, blessed are the meek, those people alone shall inherit the earth. This is going to be a signature of those who are born again. God is going to implant upon them and grow in them meekness. In fact, think about it. The meek already inherit the earth. In this life, in this way, that a man who is truly meek or a woman is a woman who is always satisfied. The earth is theirs. They have this satisfied sense. This is important. So meekness, it flows out of those who mourn. They've received the comfort of God. Can I backtrack for a second? Well, we'll get there. Let's go on. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
for they shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirst, friends, in our modern decadent world is a very abstract idea. Most of us don't have a clue what it means to hunger or thirst. The idea is not, oh, my tummy is rumbling because I, I ate four hours ago and I think I want a snack. This is a hunger. And God gave us this idea of hunger and thirst because it is universal. Everybody knows what it is. And for those that have been truly hunger, had truly been hungry, truly been without food, they realize this is something that possesses you. You can't just say, well, well, I'm just not going to be hungry right now. I'll deal with that later. It controls us. It consumes us. And thirst even more so. So God's allowed us to have that longing for food so we can understand what it should be in our lives for righteousness. Wow. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now that, if anything, is from another world, this is that. We just don't do that. We hunger, we want righteousness as long as it's on my side when I've been wrong. That's when I want righteousness. But to have a deep, I want, I want not just to see it, I want to be righteous. I want, I want to live this out. And this is the transformation of the gospel, friends. God, by his grace, has declared us righteous. We are clean, we are forgiven, but now, now he's put on us the desire that our lives would be transformed. I want to be more like Jesus. That, and God says when there's that hunger, there's a, this is a blessed thing. They will be filled. But, you know, when it comes to hunger, you know, for us, we, we just, it's very easy for us to look at the, the Sermon on the Mount, to look at the Beatitudes and kind of say, okay, well, this, I'm going to add this to my list, hunger and thirst, kind of like I would diet. You know, we, we, we think, okay, well, I've drifted a little bit. I'm not so hungry after God, so I'm going to start this out next Monday. I'm going to do this. No snacking after 1800. But then you know how that is. A week later, we're like, yeah, but it's Friday. So maybe, maybe I'll just have a little bit of, you know. And then, you know, the next week, well, it was a bad week. You know, so diet's off today. But friends, this is not a diet or an exercise program or any other self help ideology. You see, this is the gospel. And I can't build up, I can't make a hunger for righteousness. We go to God for that. And if you, if you sit here today and you say, you know, I'm really not hungry or thirsting after God, you know what we do? We go back to the beginning of this. And we say, God, help me be poor in spirit. You see, this is a picture of salvation, the, the Sermon on the Mount. There's a progression of thought here. It's, it's for salvation, but it's also for the believer. And I think this is an important point for us. Repentance just doesn't happen when I become a Christian. 
We continue with this all through our lives. In fact, the mature believer are the ones that are quick to repent. That's how we know we're growing. Is, is we start to learn, we, we turn away from sin, we turn towards God sooner than when we used to. That's growth. That should encourage us. And so if you're sitting here today and you're like, you know, I really don't have a hunger and thirst for God, I should go back and I said, God, would you give me that poverty of spirit? Where does that come from? It comes from the gospel. It comes from realizing how great our God is and a great, what a deficit there is in me. Open my eyes, God. Show me yourself. And show me myself. We see that. We, we, it, our heart is drawn towards God. Genuine hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here's the key. It always proceeds out of meekness. Let me say that again. Genuine hunger and thirst for righteousness, it proceeds out and follows meekness. If and when our pursuit for righteousness is divorced or separated from meekness, friends, it'll start to wither and die. Or worse, it becomes a hunger and thirst for self-righteousness. You hear what I'm saying? Meekness, then hunger and thirst. Divorce from meekness, self-righteousness. That self-righteousness where we, we start worrying about the outside. We start become critics of everybody around us. Have you been there? I have lived at that address. I could judge anybody and I was sure I was better than anybody and everybody. I could find the faults of everybody. Like that was a spiritual gift. Man, we don't want our own self-righteousness. This righteousness is a hunger and a thirst. I want to be like Jesus. God, I, I, I'm hungering and thirsting after you, Lord. If we don't have that, what a thing to pray. God, I want to thirst after you. I've been thirsting after other stuff. And it doesn't satisfy, does it? You know that. And that's a challenge. Friends, we live in a world that is dangling with stuff that says this is going to satisfy you. I mean, the, it started in the Garden of Eden, friends. This little fruit over here dangling over here, this is going to make you happy. This is going to satisfy you. And the same story has been being told for as, as long as we are from, here, from then to Eden to now. I mean, open up your phone. You're going to get advertisements of things that are going to, this is going to make you happy. This is going to fulfill you. It won't. But God in his righteousness, his goodness, that fulfills us. So can I ask you, this morning, this week, what have you been hungering and thirsting for? Some of us, our problem is that we don't hunger and thirst for anything. Oh my word, our just desire has been evaporated. What a great time to turn to God and say, God, I, 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 I need to turn to you 
Not that this is all about our feeling. I don't have to wait till I have a great, great longing in my heart. That's not what I'm talking about. But what, what have you hungered for this week? What, 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 what do you think is going to make you th- satisfy your thirst? Netflix? A promotion? People's admiration? Shopping? Gaming? Vacation? A relationship? None of these are going to satisfy friends. None of these things are going to fill that longing. If there is a genuine void in your life, if there's a genuine desire for Christ, all these things, we're going to find all these things, are, they, 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 they sap us. They don't satisfy us. If we find that we're hungering after those things, you know what we find? We're a lot like the church. The church in the book of Revelations where God says to them that you've lost your first love. What do we do when that happens? We go back. We repent. We say, God, I want to remember how good you are. I want to remember how much need I have and that you are the one that satisfies. We turn to God. Don't wait for the feeling. God knows that these are voids in our lives. God knows that the world around us is dangling 10,000 things. And our opportunity to glorify God by living in this crazy world and saying, no, 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 I want to trust you, God. I want to trust your word. And I want to hunger after things that the world, it makes no sense to them. Friends, you know what the big difference is? The world will never be satisfied. We will be. I'm not saying it'll be easy. Do you note the text? It's future tense. The satisfaction? Yes, there's satisfaction now, but it's more to come. We'll talk about that next time. The the only two verses in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, that are present tense is, is the kingdom of God. The rest of things, the um, inherit the earth, satisfied, those are things that shall happen. Now we get, we get a foretaste of that, friends. But listen to this, and this is important. The full, the fullness of that, it's coming. It's coming. And you will not be disappointed when it comes. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor mind comprehended what God has ready for those who love him. The day that we break into eternity, the day that we're broken from the bonds of of this wretched world, wow, satisfied, fulfilled, in the presence of God, John Piper talks about this idea of future grace should fuel our lives. Realizing we have experienced grace here and now, you don't have a clue. You and I don't have a clue how rich, how full God's grace is. And we should think, but he tells us it's here. In fact, it's just around the corner, friends. It's not far away. The day is coming. The that is faith. It's going to be sight. We will not be disappointed. We'll not look back and say, well, that was a waste of time. We'll say, oh, wow. 
I wish I hadn't wasted so much. God's goodness. Hungering and thirsting after that righteousness, friends. What a thing. May God give us that now. You know, in some ways, it's very fitting that we talk on a Sunday about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That we should pause and remember. Do what Jesus told us and take time to remember him in the Lord's Supper. It's a time that, that, that God calls us. He says, he says, you know, this is something I want you to do regularly as a reminder. And we're going to do that now. We're going we're to take some time to, to prepare our hearts and think about what God has provided for the thirst and hunger we had in the person of Jesus. Again, you know, one of the most beautiful things about these Beatitudes, if you stop and you think about them, is, is this is what, again, is not something that we should be trying to obtain on our own. The, this, this Sermon on the Mount is God's description of what the grace of God, what the Spirit of God is doing in his children. So we go to him. It, it doesn't mean that, I'm not saying let go and let God. No, this is going to take some effort, but we are going to God for the strength. But friends, the good news is, Jesus has fulfilled this. Do you realize that? Isn't this wonderful? We go through this, these beatitudes. We look at these, these things, and Jesus was the one who was poor in spirit. He became poor. We see that Jesus was the one who mourned, who mourned and, 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 and with, with tears, praying for us. We see that Jesus is a fulfillment of meekness. And we see how Jesus hungered and thirsted out in the desert. You know why that is so helpful for us, friends? It's we have a sympathetic high priest. He knows what it is to hunger. He knows what it is to be without. He knows the longings of our heart, the things that we are hoping, the things that we hope will satisfy. God knows that. Our Savior hungered and thirsted for us. What we're going to do is we're going to take some time. Um, we take some time. We're going to um, pass out the elements. We're going to sing a song while we do that. Can I just, just encourage you who are here today? Communion is a time where what we are doing is we are, we are kind of putting into action what we've already done by faith. So when, when, I, when, I, when I take this cup and I take this bread and, I, and I, I, I receive it, what I'm saying is this is what I did. I've received Jesus Christ into my life. I have, I, I, I have, I have found forgiveness in him. I, he is my refuge. He is my source. And so that we're doing this to remember him. And so if, if you've not done that, if you, you've never received Christ in your life, you're, you're, you're your own master still, then you shouldn't take partake in communion because that would be kind of sending a mixed message. 
God also says, look, if, if you are, 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 are divorced from God, if you are, you are in a place where you are estranged from following God, you should stop. You should take inventory of your life and think about this. Our brothers and sisters are going to pass out the, the bread and the juice. The bread's on the bottom of the cup. The cup's on the top. And what we'll do is just hold on to it, and we're going to take this, we're going to kind of drink and eat the bread together, but we're going to sing a song. And 